Welcome to Christ Chapel College, the college outreach of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope everyone experiences what Jesus calls abundant life. So we unapologetically point to Him as the source of life and joy. If you're a college student in the Fort Worth area, we'd be stoked to connect with you. Find out more at ChristChapelCollege.org and on Instagram at ChristChapelCollege. So we've been going through a series in Romans that we've been just in the book of Romans all year. We're going to take a little pause uh, from Romans, and I'm just going to get to talk about the resurrection as it is uh, Easter this morning. And, and ironically, we'll also tie in some Romans passages because it's hard to get away from the truth in that book. But <clears throat> true story, when I was 19, I had a friend. Uh, his name was Crazy Guy Dan. Uh, at least that's what he was saved in my phone as. Uh, he was saved in my phone as Crazy Guy Dan. And Crazy Guy Dan was in his uh, mid to late 60s. And Crazy Guy Dan um, believed that uh, Texas was still a republic and was not a part of the United States. So for those of you guys who didn't grow up in Texas, right? We know a lot of you guys aren't from Texas. So welcome, California. We're glad you're here. We see you. Um, <clears throat> There's, there, right, in Texas, you're bred at a very young age to like, okay, Texas is what it's all about, and you get indoctrinated at a young age, and you have lots of Texas history classes, and we're very proud of our state. But there was, this, there was this guy, Dan, and he believed, you know, back in the days of the Alamo and all that stuff, that, uh, that Texas never actually, they seceded from, from Mexico, but they never actually became a part of the United States, that there were some legal loopholes, and that he was in the long line uh, a descendant of a guy named Sam Houston, who Texas history people know this, that was like the president of Texas way back in the Alamo days. And so he believed that he was the president of the nation of Texas. Uh, and he was my buddy. He also uh, repaired sprinklers, and I would go help him fix sprinklers uh, whenever I was a 19-year-old. I needed to make some extra cash. That's how we hung out. And we'd ride around in his truck, and he, you know, just told me all about the fact that Texas is his own country. He didn't follow any laws that he didn't want to. Um, I don't know where Dan is now. Probably jail. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that was him. Now, I didn't believe his claims. He was convinced he was the, he was the president of the United of, of Texas. Um, but I didn't believe those. However, uh, there were people who did believe them, and they met with him at IHOP in Garland, Texas, every Saturday morning. So he had his, he had his like, Congress and cabinet, and they met at IHOP, and I don't know how much, real thing, I don't know how much they really believed him or if he just was paying for their IHOP, and that's what it took to, like, get their allegiance. But nonetheless, that that was this interaction that I remember as a 19-year-old being like, this is the weirdest guy ever. Um, and yet that's what he believed. And he actually had people who followed him. Um, what we are doing today on Easter is radical. What we in this room are doing, um, those who believe in Jesus Christ, is we're showing up and we are believing the claims of a man who says he is God in the flesh, who died and rose again and now intercedes for us. And so there is this hugely radical claim that our God puts before us, that Jesus Christ puts before us. And if we say we're believers in Christ, then it means we're believing this really heavy claim. And that shouldn't be taken lightly. And in believing the claims of Jesus, there are all of these implications. There's all these implications of if I really believe this is true, then it will shape how my life looks. But we're a group of people who, if you're a believer, if you, if you call yourself a Christian, then you are affirming the fact that we believe there was a Jewish carpenter 2,000 years ago who the Roman government executed and hung on a cross and he died and then he rose again three days later. And that was the son of God and that in that death held the penalty of, of the sin of the world and all who put their faith in Jesus. 
That's radical. I, I don't want us to come through an Easter morning and just nod our heads to, yeah, we believe in the resurrection and that's what we're here to do and that's what we're supposed to do and uh, I've always believed. That's great. I, I, I think I want to challenge us this morning. I think we should be challenged to say, why do we believe? And, and, and is there depth and maturity to our belief? And then having done that, what are the implications of those beliefs? And so uh, we're going to be talking about the gospel, right? The gospel is the foundation of our faith. And we talk about it every week from this stage. Um, the gospel is, it, it changes everything in my world. It changes everything in your world. It changes how, uh, if we really believe it, it changes how you live, how you date, how you eat. It, it changes how you study. It changes how you pay your taxes. It changes how you see other human beings. It changes how you serve. It changes everything. And so I got to start with the question, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? It is the most important thing in our faith, but what is the gospel? If I put you on the spot and I was like, hey, check under your chair, and if you've got a yellow card, then come on up on stage and explain the gospel, which I didn't do that. That'd be really, honestly, that'd be really mean. Um, but, but if you were called up here to say, okay, explain to us what the gospel is, right? Some people uh, would, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament are called the gospels, but those are the accounts of those four people's accounts of Jesus's, and that's not what we mean when we say the gospel. Those are just the books. Um, the gospel is this. Here, here's the answer. Here's how Paul, the Apostle Paul, answers that question. He answers it in 1 Corinthians 15. This is what he says. This is how he defines what is the most important thing in our faith. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, the foundation in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And then here he goes, verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So the gospel of Jesus Christ is right there. Paul says, here's what the gospel is. Here's what I received and here's what I give you. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ Jesus. That's what the gospel is. That's what we celebrate on Easter. That's what we celebrate every day. That's what the rest of this entire book ties into that idea. The foreshadowing of it and now us looking back, finding our hope in it. Um, the death of Jesus. Let, since it's Easter, let me give you some of the narrative that we, we celebrate and we look at on Easter morning. Uh, Luke chapter 23, verses 46 and 47. This is the, the death of our Savior on a cross. This is what it says. It says, then Jesus, while he was on the cross, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion, and I love this witness, now, when the centurion, who was a guard there at the cross, when he saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. The burial. Mark chapter 15, verses 46 and 47 says this. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, talking about Jesus, taking him down off the cross, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, saw where he was laid. The burial. And then what we celebrate Easter morning, the resurrection. Look at Mark's account in chapter 16. The next chapter says this. 
And entering the tomb, he saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be afraid. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, and go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. This is the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. It's a historical event that we believe happened in this Roman-occupied territory of Israel. In this town called Jerusalem, this Jewish carpenter made radical claims of who he was and miracles, was executed outside the city walls, and now we believe rose again. That historical event changes everything for us. It has implications that are spiritual, that are theological, emotional. It changes everything. If I really believe that happened, um, there are two big implications. And so my sermon this morning, the the reality is there are hundreds of implications. Every Sunday morning in this ministry, we're going to talk about different implications of the gospel. This morning, we're just going to talk about two big ones. We're just going to talk about two big ones. And if you want to keep hearing how the gospel changed our lives, then please stay in a relationship with us. We'd love to walk with you or, or, or... come here or whatever it looks like to be able to continue to challenge you uh, in, in how this changes everything. But the two ones for this morning are this. One, if I believe this is true, then it means our God can bring death to life. That's what that means. If this is true, if the resurrection is true, it means our God can bring death to life. And I, I mean that in a lot of different ways that I'll unpack here in a little bit. And the second thing is it means that our God has designed for us a purpose right? He's made us for a purpose, that the life that he brings out of death is for a reason and for a purpose, and we have a design that we're not functioning in is not fulfilling for us, and so that's where we're going. Um, before I get there, and the reason I only picked two is because I want to I wanna kind of have a rabbit trail, um, and so I, I want to carve out a little bit of time um, and I just felt convicted of this as I was kind of studying and prepping for this sermon that um, I want to tell you my story, I grew up in church and was a, a church kid. Um, my parents are awesome, and they, they raised me in the church, and I don't regret that at all. I, I knew all the church answers. I was a very moral kid growing up uh, and, and did all the right things and went to a Young Life camp and was real plugged into my youth group. That was my story. I got, um, when I was 18, 19 years old, I was living in Russia. It's a long story, but I was living in Russia. I was living in Moscow, Russia. And when I was living in Moscow, I'll give you the longer version some other time. We'll get coffee. Just DM us. Um, <clears throat> I, I remember being surrounded by people who, like, their story wasn't my story, right? Like, I grew up in Texas, the Bible Belt. This is kind of what we believe. My grandparents are Christians. My parents are Christians. I grew up in the church, right? That's what we do, right? We come to Easter every year, and we hear about the resurrection, and we nod, and we agree, but that's what it was. And I, I got over there and I was around atheists and agnostics and, and Buddhists and Muslims and, and people who were of, of Greek Orthodox faith and all over the place. And, and I remember this feeling of, I remember this feeling of, man, how convenient, right? Like how convenient that the one way to life, right, and life abundant happens to be through Jesus, just happens to be the way that I was born into, that I was indoctrinated in, that my grandparents and parents and the church I grew up in, and I remember really having this crisis of faith of do I really believe any of this? Do I really believe this book is authoritative? Do I really believe that Jesus 
actually rose from the dead and is now interceding for me at the right hand of God. I can tell you right now, I do. I do everything I have. But I, I got there by really wrestling with hard questions. And as a 19-year-old at that time, I didn't know I was allowed to wrestle with hard questions. I kind of thought, well, this is what we believe because it, it makes us feel good and because this is what I'm told and I don't really doubt it. And I really kind of thought, if I have hard questions about, let's say, say the resurrection of Jesus, then I just kind of thought, like, I just got to believe. And, and I, I think that that's something that I, my heart breaks for the church, specifically a church that would say, don't, don't wrestle. And it's not okay to doubt. And it's not okay to have hard questions. This should be a safe place. And it should be a safe place because there are really good answers to the questions you're asking. Because I do believe that's authoritative. And I do believe it's true. And I do believe that our God spent three days in a tomb and rose from the grave. And I, I do believe that he gives life out of death. And I do believe those things. But not because I didn't ask hard questions, but because I ask hard questions. And so if you're in this place and you think, okay, yeah, I believe, but you've never asked those questions or never thought it was safe, then man, come and ask those questions. It's shaped my faith. And, and even us as a ministry, literally, specifically, reach out to us. And then we got a team of people that we would love to connect you with and get coffee, and, and we're not scared of those questions. As a believer, as a follower of Jesus, as a, as a Christian, you do not have to leave your intellectual integrity at the door of faith. There is going to be steps of faith that are huge and beautiful and important. Man, we are saved by grace through faith. Faith is, faith is fundamental. But I, I want to really challenge you as young, sharp, intelligent people wrestle with the hard things. Um, and, and maybe you don't go to church a whole lot or maybe you came here, maybe you haven't come here very much um, and, and we're so used to just nodding because this is what we're supposed to believe. Ask hard questions. I, I want to give you an example of a, of a hard question for me that's uh, pretty important for Easter. So just, I'm going to take three minutes. <clears throat> Here's how it goes. Do I really believe the resurrection? Because even Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 15, later in that chapter, says, if the resurrection didn't happen, then what are we doing? Like, we can shut down shop. If, the res if Jesus didn't really resurrect from the dead, then this is all a joke and it's pointless. And so to understand, do I really believe that a man rose from the dead, uh, I want to put a couple of things in front of you. And that's facts, right? What we know to be true is we know there was a man named Jesus who was crucified, uh, we know there was a man named Jesus who was Jewish at the time, not even from what the Bible says, but from Roman literature and history, historic accounts. We know there was this man named Jesus who made huge claims. He had a large following. We know he was executed by the Roman government, right? And then we also know, and then we also know that Rome was unable to produce his dead body. Because Rome, we know, did not want this revival and rebellion to begin with all these people who said Jesus is a Messiah. They knew he was supposed to raise from the dead. They guarded his tomb. All they needed to do to shut down Christianity, which at the time was a threat to Rome, all they needed to do was produce his dead body. You got a bunch of people saying, hey, he rose from the dead. Here's his dead body, and it shuts it down. And so we know that there was a man executed named Jesus. We know his body was nowhere to be found, which leaves us with only a couple of options, two options. Option one is that Jesus didn't really die. And I love this. It's called the swoon theory. Um, I've never actually met anyone who believes the swoon theory. And, and, if, and if you do or something, I've read a lot about it. Um, but it's the theory, it's this theory. It's the theory that Jesus didn't really die on the cross, that he basically blacked out, right? And that when he got stabbed in the side and when he hung on the cross, he just blacked out, wrapped him in a tomb, went into the tomb. And then after three days, he was like, I feel much better now. This is a good nap. Rolled the rock away 
got the guards, cracked their necks, right? The whole, you know, just ninja chopped them and, and escaped, right? Um, which, I, which I think takes a level of, um, I think I have to take my intellect and I have to think I have to leave it aside if I'm really going to believe. No, the Roman government, who's, I mean, they were, they were brilliant at executing people. That's what they did. Like, that was their gift that, I mean, they just were good at executing people. That the Roman government just blew it on this one guy that they really needed to not blow it on. And so I think this idea of the swoon theory, I think we need to look at that and say, okay, that, that feels illogical. If I'm looking at the resurrection, I just don't know how, how I could believe he didn't really die and he was just in the tomb and then he came out and he's fine and he snuck past the guards and moved to the rock. So it leaves with this, a second one, which I, I think, uh, if I'm honest, I'm like, okay, this is interesting. And that's that the disciples stole the body. Here's the deal. If somebody tells me they're God and I believe them and I believe they're the Messiah and I leave everything to follow them for three years, I left my job, I left my family, like I was telling everybody, I put my reputation on the line that, hey, this guy's the Messiah and I'm literally following them for him for three years and then he dies and is murdered, I'm going to be frustrated or angry or confused. I'm going to have all kinds of emotions. And so the, the theory would go, well, those guys didn't want to look ridiculous. They wanted to keep the, the movement going that had begun in these three years. And so they went and they stole the body so that they could then proclaim that, hey, he's, he's risen. The only problem I see with that is look at the disciples and how they finished their life. Every single disciple who followed Jesus, who was a witness, who was the beginning of what is a revolution that now uh, changed the world, now has us 2,000 years later sitting in a coffee shop talking about Jesus, worshiping Jesus. Um, those men who were there, those witnesses who were there, um, they died horrible deaths. Many of them were also crucified. Peter, um, historical accounts say that Peter was crucified upside down. Their families were killed. John was thrown into a vat of boiling oil, right? And then he didn't die in it, so then he was exiled even after that. Um, I mean, they were, they were horrible, horrible deaths. They were stoned to death. Um, they were awful deaths. There's a, a part in Acts where the disciples are sharing about Jesus is alive. He rose from the dead. The resurrection is real. What we celebrate on Easter, it's, it's a real thing. And they said, you've, and the, the government said, you've got to stop saying that or we're going to kill you. The Pharisee said, if you keep saying that, we're going to kill you. And they said, how can we not but share what we have witnessed and what we have seen? You got to kill me. You got to kill me. Which doesn't make sense. If they stole the body and they knew it was a lie, they didn't gain anything. There wasn't a reputation or popularity or money. It was only persecution. To believe and to testify what had happened, that he had risen from the dead, meant that their lives on this earth were going to be taken from them in horribly brutal ways. And so we're left even intellectually with this idea that, okay, maybe this Jesus really is who he said he was. Unless we think he just passed out for three days and conveniently woke up and moved the rock, or unless we think that these disciples uh, did some sort of prank to steal his body, but then took that prank to the grave and died horrible deaths, not gaining anything, when they could have just said, you're right, I don't want to die in horrible death. Something happened 2,000 years ago, and that changes you today. The implications of the resurrection change how you date, change how you see yourself in the mirror. They change how, how you think if we properly apply it. They change how we love. They change our, our ability to access joy in our life because of what happened in the resurrection. So let's just look at those two. 
the first thing, the first huge implication is that this means our God can bring death to life. That's what this means. Look at Romans 6, verses 6 through 10 with me. This is what the apostle says in Romans 6. He says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. So it's this idea that Christ has died and now we are surrendering our lives to say our lives are not our own. We are gonna surrender our lives to his death and now the life we live as, as followers of Christ, we don't just live because we've intellectually decided he's risen. We've said, our lives aren't our own. They're yours. We want to be alive with Christ, our old self dead. And then listen to what he says in verse 9. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Because of the resurrection, Jesus Christ has defeated death Right, that gives him here this authority and this power over right? It gives him this right hand. He is the son of man, and he has this authority and power. And so, um, and so we, we look at what he does with that. What does he do with the power and the authority that he's given as the son of man? He intercedes for us. That's what he does. With the power and authority that Jesus has, he comes and he intercedes for us and shows grace. Look at Ephesians 2, and let me say this about Ephesians 2. If throughout this week you're like, man, I want to keep growing. I want to keep deep into my faith. I want to keep wrestling with stuff. Spend the entire week on Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Just chew on it, man. Just chew on this one passage that I'm about to read over you because there's so much here. But I want you to sh- want to show you what he does as he defeats death. Look what he does for us. And you were dead. You, me, we were dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sin. In, what, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in work of the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So this is bad news. We were dead in our sins because of the world, because of the brokenness, not just because of the things we do, but because the nature of man, we're broken. We said that from the very beginning. We're broken people serving this perfect God. And, and we don't have to hang our heads low because of the grace we have, but we're, we're broken and there's death there in all of us. We've all been condemned. The, the religious moral person in this room to, to the person who's never cared about God's rules or God's ways ever. If you are honest, if you are not just intellectually honest, but you are spiritually honest with yourself, as you sit here, you would say, man, me in and of myself, apart from the spirit of God and the power of God, man, I, I can't bring about life to my own dead soul. I need God to do that. Whether that's happened in your life or it hasn't or it has, but you've numbed that, we are dead without him. But then verse four, my favorite two words, maybe in all of scripture, verse four, but God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith 
And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that nobody in this room gets to boast and brag and think that we earned it. This is what it looks like to have death to life, right? Death to life does not just mean God raised from the dead so that we would have a ticket to heaven. Um, What it means is that we have a God who now in this life, in this earth right now, in the life that you live right now says, there is death in in you and I want to bring about life from it. What what should be in the grave, I want to turn into this garden and make something beautiful out of the hurt and the pain and the emptiness. That's what our God does. When he shows up, he brings life to death. My story, man, a person who was very religious and moral and did all the right things, there was an emptiness. You know what my religion and, and moral chasing after and following the list did for me? It exhausted me. It exhausted me. That is not where I found life. I now pursue Christ, not because I think I'm going to earn it or give myself life. I pursue it out of a response of a God who saw me as a, as a broken man and said, and yet I still love you. Uh, man, I have a, a friend, a young woman who I've gotten to work with and do ministry with, and man, when she was in high school, she developed uh, an eating disorder, um, and a, a, really, a really bad eating disorder. And, and it was in a period of time in her life where she just felt out of control, just felt totally out of control, and this was kind of the one thing that she could do to control it because there was just brokenness and hurt there, and so this was the one thing that she could kind of control, and it became uh, this thing that almost killed her. And then even from there, for her particular story, it layered into drugs to then kind of numb that pain when that wasn't working, and, and it was this spiral of shame for her, and this was years and years and, and, and just some, some really dark moments and, and period of time when her parents really thought, we're going to lose her. Just physically, she's going to die. Not just because it was happening on the outside, but there was this inward brokenness that just was this vacuum. And man, I saw that, I saw that woman come to know Christ and come to surrender to Christ and come to enter into a relationship with Christ that took dead things and made them alive. And let me be real careful here. It wasn't a switch for her that got flipped. Right? It wasn't like one day she gave her life to Christ and then no longer did she struggle with an eating disorder, no longer was she tempted in these ways. No, 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 no. This was a marathon. This was over probably the course of seven years for her and she's still growing and, and maturing and, and, and becoming this woman that God has called her to be with life and there's still ups and downs. But there was these seeds planted of life and it changed her. It changed her. I see story after story after story of college students over the last decade, college and young adult students and people who have, they are pursuing something that is not giving them what they're looking for in return. It's not giving them life and life abundant. Man, being a young adult is all about trying to find life and milk the most out of life and experience the most abundant amounts of life. And, and you live, you guys live in a world where you're surrounded by different options of how to find that. And the world is giving you lots of different suggestions of, oh man, this is going to be abundant over here and this is going to be a lot of fun and this is going to be, and I have watched for a decade college students chase after that and get empty and drained and dry because they're not coming to find source of life. A God who says, I love you where you're at. A God who says, I offer you abundant life. I don't know where you're at. I really don't this morning. I don't know what is going on in your soul. I don't know if you feel low this morning. 
I don't know if you came into this room and you just feel like, man, you have been beaten up or buried. Maybe it's shame, maybe it's guilt, maybe it's exhaustion. Would we not just nod our head to the resurrection? Yeah, Jesus rose, he's risen indeed. If you walked in here and you feel low and you feel discouraged and you feel dry, would we not just nod our head to the resurrection but instead say, I believe, God, would you help my belief in your resurrection impact the way that I see you as my source of life? Would it impact how I see you as my source and all these other things that have left me unsatisfied? Whether you're a college student or a grand- grandparent, cut all these other things that have left me unsatisfied. You are who bring life. Do we believe that? And would our faith in that deepen? And I've seen marriages that should be dead that God has restored, friendships that have no business being friends and and reconciliation and forgiveness happens that makes no sense outside of the fact that we worship a God who takes things that should be dead and brings them alive. Last thing, last implication, second and final one is this. He doesn't just give us life and life abundantly. He also gives us life and life abundantly as, as we draw near to him and then also gives us a purpose for that life. He gives us a purpose for our life. If all of this is true, this resurrection, then our God designed you. He made you for a purpose. Ephesians 2.10, on the tail end of that Ephesians passage I, I told you to study this week, the tail end, the last verse, verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I love that. God has prepared a work for you in in your life. He took you from death to life and now he's given you a mission. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20 says this. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself. That's what happened on Easter. He was reconciling a broken world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. Listen to this. This, if you're a believer, is what you are called to do. Therefore, therefore, if that's true, if we've been reconciled to God, then we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. That's, that's your call. That's your mission. If you are following Jesus and you're drawing near to a God who loves you right where you're at, he's also given you a mission to say, I'm an ambassador to others, which means I get to raise my arms to the idea of look at what he's done. Look at the grace that he's shown me. Look, look a, a broken person that still is loved fully by God and I don't have to walk in shame and I don't have to be embarrassed in those things because I have a God and a Father who says, I love you and now I've called you to go be an ambassador. And we think, oh man, that's hard to do. And so often we say, man, I want the grace that God has for me. I want his grace for me and I, I want the, the life that he gives and it's abundant, but I kind of want to hoard it and I kind of want to keep it to myself over here. And I, and I don't want to have those awkward conversations and I don't want to be that weird guy who's always sharing and I, and I just kind of want to hoard it. And yet, if you're really walking with the Lord, then he's given you this mission and this voice to say, this is what he's doing. This is what he's doing. And we don't have all the answers, but we know how he's working in our heart. And man, if we're not functioning in our purpose, then at some point in your life, you're gonna, you're gonna get dry. 
at some point you're going to think, man, what am I doing with my life? Whether you're a banker or a, uh, a baker, I don't know if they have bakers still, um, right? Whatever you do, whether you're a lawyer or a pastor or uh, a fisherman or whatever it is that you end up doing with your life that you are called to, while you do that, be an ambassador for how God has transformed your life. Um, So here's the question. Here's the question I want to end on with you guys. Do I really believe that? Easter, we're supposed to come to church. It's a thing we're supposed to do. I get it. Do I really believe the implications of the resurrection? Do I really believe that Jesus was who he said he was and did what he said he did and rose from the dead? And if I do, then it means that he is my source of life. It means that he is my source of purpose. And I can tell my depth at which I believe that by when I look at the depth at which I really put my trust that he is my life. Here's what I mean by that. Um, My son is seven and a half years old and I might believe that he can drive. In fact, I do. I believe that he can drive a car, right? He's seven and a half. Technically, he's tall enough. He, He could do it. It's an automatic, so it's really not that difficult, right? I believe my son could drive a car, but the depth at which I believe he can drive a car is do I believe he could drive a car and I'm going to let him in an empty parking lot kind of joke around with dad in the passenger seat? Or do I believe he can drive a car by like I'm going to get him on the highway and he's going to drive around downtown Fort Worth and, and I-20 and I-30? No, I'm not. Because my belief isn't there. And so I want you to ask your question. Talk to the Lord about this morning. God, where are the places in my life where I say I believe, I nod my head to your resurrection, but God, I don't really find my life in you. You're not my source for life. All these other things are really where I find my life. And that doesn't mean you go drop out of school or quit your job. It means, God, would you reposition my heart to see you as my source of life, to see you as my source of purpose, that in whatever whatever field I'm in right now, whatever I'm doing with my life, would I do it unto you as an ambassador? And man, would that change everything because the power of the gospel Let me pray for you. Father, we love you. And God, we love you for how you loved us first. God, you love us perfectly. And so Lord, in the name of Jesus, I just ask that you would do the spiritual work that only you can do. And that's take the truth of the resurrection, this thing that we believe, this historical event, and God, transform us because of the depth in which we believe, God that, Lord, we, we know this isn't a switch to flip, God, and so often that's what we want. I, I want to come to church, and I want to hear songs, and I, I want there to just be this emotional switch where, good, I'm never, I'm never going to struggle with that depression or that guilt or that shame or that behavior that I used to. Um, but, God, we know that you call sometimes that growth out of us slowly. And whatever that looks like, Father, this morning, would you do it? And would, would we be obedient to it? And so, Father, we ask uh, boldly, um, would you be so kind to us as to help reveal the depth of our belief in you? And because of the gracious Father you are, would you deepen it this morning? That you take people who are dead spiritually and you make us alive, not because we deserve it, but because you are so kind. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.